Good morning again. It is good to have you all, and for those who are joining us online, please know you are loved, missed, and prayed for. The title of the sermon today is It. It. That's it. It. As in, what is it that causes you fear today? What is it that when you hear the command, do not be anxious about your life, what is it that comes to your mind? That's what we're going to be addressing today. Today's Reformation Day. It is a joy to see all of you here, and uh, it's good to see all the little cakey in costumes and some of the adults. I had every intention of dressing up today, but uh, alas, I had some twists and turns in my pastoral week that just made it hard to get my costume. It wasn't super high on my priority list, all right? So we'll have to wait until the next time Halloween falls on a Sunday, and uh, who knows when that will be. But nonetheless, uh, I was fascinated that today's sermon, of all days, please get this, I didn't plan this out, of all days on Halloween, the sermon theme is on fear. I was amazed. How's that for God's sovereignty? God I believe, has a sense of humor. Amen? Amen. I was like, oh, how does that work? Fear, Halloween. All right, that, that that goes good. So let me ask you today, are you a fearful person? Are you a fearful person? Do you struggle with fear? Amen? Men, do you struggle with fear? I'm not afraid of nothing. Nah, I'm not afraid. I'm not scared of nothing. No, guys, we don't struggle with fear, do we? The Bible would lead us to say or ask a better question. The question is not, do you struggle with fear? But how do you struggle with fear in your life? How does fear manifest itself in your life? See, fear doesn't always look like the kind of cowering terrified of a centipede type of fear, <gasps> right? That's, that's not the way fear always looks. In fact, that's often not the type of fear the Bible is addressing. Indeed, if a centipede comes at you and you don't turn into happy feet, I might be afraid for your mental state. I might wonder if there's something wrong with you. No, the Bible doesn't talk about that type of fear quite as much as the other type of fear. Fear can take many forms. It can take the form of anxiety, worry, panic, but it can also take the form of anger, stress, irritability. That's how it often expresses itself, as I find it in men. So the question isn't, do you struggle with fear, but how do you struggle with fear? The Bible assumes that on this side of the fall, we all struggle with fear. Now, why would I say that? Because the most repeated command in the whole Bible is not to love one another. It's not even to love God. That's not the most repeated command. The most repeated command in the whole Bible is fear not. Fear not. We must need to hear that a whole lot. We must be a fearful and anxious people. Now, I want to confess to you this morning, I am a, I am a fraidy cat. 
I am afraid of cats, I confess. Let me explain. Maybe you can relate. I am very afraid of bees. Anything that is winged with a stinger. Bees, hornets, wasps. If a ladybug had a stinger, I'd be afraid of it too. I don't know why. Even in all my times as an officer, forget the gun calls, forget the knife calls, forget the guys who want to fight. Really, all they needed were some bees, and I wouldn't go anywhere near them. Let them go. Now, most of the time, I can control my fear of bees, but as we'll talk about in a minute, I actually have a greater fear that helps me to control my fear of bees. Do you know you want to know what that fear is? The fear of man. I'm afraid to look like a fool as I... And so that fear of man helps me to control my fear of bees. But deep inside, I'm afraid of cats. Now I fear other things too, don't get me wrong. Let me walk you through a few. I worry that I won't be a good dad, or that I'll leave out some important life lesson with my children, and they'll grow up bearing the consequences of it. I worry that I'm too strict with them. I worry that I'm not strict enough with them. I'm concerned that I'm not doing everything I need to to provide for my family enough to provide. I fear that I'm doing too much to provide for my family, and I need to be content. I fear our business ventures will fail, and I'll have led my family poorly. I'm concerned that my dietary choices aren't as good as they should be. I fear being wrong regarding my response to COVID. Should I be more for vaccines or more opposed to them? I'm afraid that one day I'll do a squat and blow out my knee, and I won't be able to work out anymore as I so dearly love. I fear I'll never get to eat that pig that roams around my backyard. (laughs) As a pastor, I fear I'll mishandle delicate situations and give direction that is unhelpful or wrong. I fear my sermons are too long. Nobody better say amen. I fear they're too long, and when they're shorter, I fear I've left something out. And now I fear that you'll hear my fears and think I'm a crazy person. Perhaps some of you can relate. Are you a fraidy cat as well today? Do you have things that go on in your brain at nighttime sometimes that keep you awake or throughout the day? Now, to be sure, these are all fearful thoughts that have crept into my head. Did you notice something I didn't say that I'm afraid of? It's actually the key that helps me keep all those other fears in check. I'm never afraid that God will accomplish his promises. I'm never afraid that God will fail me. I know he will keep his promises. I know he is faithful. And that is exactly what this section on the Sermon on the Mount is all about today. God is my Father and our Father, and God is faithful. So let's pray and get into his word. Father in heaven, you 
preached Matthew 6, 25 to 34 for frady cats like us. For those who worry, for those who stress, for those who feel their blood pressure rise, for those who want to try to control their world, for those who seek their kingdom first and their righteousness, you, Father, have created and spoken this passage of Scripture for our souls, for our good, and for your glory. May we cherish it by faith, and may we see that you offer us something better that drives out all fear. And so, Lord, would you help us to focus, to pay attention, and would you get all the glory as your word is preached here? I also pray for Maui Philippine Baptist Church and Pastor Bong. I thank you for him. I pray for his children, for his wife, and for their ministry, and for the church. I pray that you would give them unity, one heart, one faith, one mind, and that you would help them, Father, to accomplish their mission to share your good news with all who hear and come into contact with their members. And so would you do this, we pray, in Maui Philippine Baptist Church, would you do this everywhere the gospel is preached across these islands and around the world? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, here's your big idea. With God as our Father, with God as our Father, we can be fearless and focused on his kingdom. With God as our Father, we can be fearless and focused on his kingdom. And so we're going to break this down. We have two, uh, three points. Number one, a fearful people. A fearful people, verse 25. Here we have the first command of our passage, verse 25. Jesus says, and it is a command, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. That's the command. Do not be anxious. Now, in the previous section, remember verse 19, we had the command, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth. Don't do that. Now we have the correlating command with the singularity, you cannot serve God and money, be wholly devoted to God. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be fearful. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious about your life. The reality is, our level of anxiety and stress that you experience on a daily basis is often, not always, but is often a direct reflection as to where your treasure is. It's a direct reflection as to the location of your treasure. Is it on earth where it can be threatened, where all kinds of things can happen and go wrong, or is it, as we said last week, in the impenetrable vaults of heaven? We can so often be anxious or troubled about the cares of this age, of this world. That's what he says. The body is more than, than food. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. One pastor said that fear is a prophecy about the future. Think about that. Fear is a prophecy about the future, that things might not turn out for my good. That's what fear and worry is. It's a prophecy, a, I should say, a false prophecy about the future that all things might not work out for my good. That's why at root battle, the battle with worry and fear and anxiety and panic, at root, it is a battle of faith. Will I trust the promises of God? 
Do I trust the goodness of God? Remember the Lord's words to Mary's sister, Martha? You remember? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. So often, How often do we let distraction and serving cloak an anxious heart? And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 25 is beckoning us to this one thing. One thing is necessary. What is that thing? We'll get to it at the end. But he starts, therefore, do not be anxious about your lives. Life is more than eating and drinking and clothing. So that's the first part. We are a fearful people. We struggle on this side of the fall with fear. Number two, a faithful father, verses 26 to 32. This is kind of be the bulk of the sermon or where the bulk of the text is, a faithful father. Now, Jesus says, don't be anxious, and then he's going to give two examples. He gives us the example of the, what is it? Birds. And then he tells us to look at what? The lilies. Consider the lilies. He says in verse 27, he points to the birds of the air. And he says, consider the birds of the air. They They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They're not going to Costco to stock up on toilet paper during a pandemic. No, they're flying around. And what are they doing? They're eating. They're living. How do they do that? They're not worried, fretting about, fluttering around from place to place. No, how do they do that? How does that happen? That every single day they eat and have all that they need. Jesus' answer is very simple. God feeds them. God feeds them. Is that what the text says? No. It's actually not what the text says. What does the text say more specifically? Your heavenly Father feeds them. That's what it says. He doesn't just say God feeds them. He says your, the emphasis, your heavenly Father feeds them. You remember the Lord's Prayer? How does it start? He taught us to pray how? Not dear God, but our Father in heaven. That's intentional. That is important. That is explicitly drawing a link between our status as children and his position as father. And he longs and loves to meet the requests and needs of his children. Your heavenly father feeds them. And then he gives this form of argumentation. We call it the lesser to the greater. This is going to come up later. comes up all throughout the Bible. It's a lesser to the greater. He says, are you not of more value than they? Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are, are you not made in the image of God and likeness of God and have the breath of life formed in you, created as the crowning work of all creation, much more valuable than the birds? Will he not feed you? Will your father abandon his children? No, he won't. Because our father possesses all power in heaven and on earth. 
He's able to feed us because he is omnipotent. And as some have said, he delights to feed us because he's our father. It is his joy. He is our father. And because he is our father, we can confidently jam along to Bob Marley lyrics, baby, don't worry about a thing. I see some of you already. What's the rest of it? Every little thing is going to be all right. Yeah, today, you're like, today is weird. It's Halloween. We're singing Bob Marley in church. What is happening? But is it not true, beloved? Our Father will feed you, and therefore it will be all right. Whatever it is you came in here with that's dangling over your soul, that's looming and pressing in, even right now maybe on your mind as you're trying to focus on the sermon, but yet it's intruding into your mind, trying to steal your joy, and you're trying to think, oh, I need to go solve this problem. Beloved, are you not of more value than the birds of the air? Your Father delights to feed you. And then he gives us a correction. In verse 27, the same pattern is true of the lilies of the field. We get a correction at the end of the little mini example. Here's the correction, verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to to, to his span of life? That's actually a corrective word. It's a little gentle admonition. Jesus, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to walk in wisdom and find flourishing in wisdom. And here he points out the folly of worry. And he said, look at you, being anxious. If you're just, just go and be all, be anxious. Just take time to be as anxious as you want. And then ask yourself, did it change anything? Did it fix anything? Did it do anything? And he's showing us the folly of fear He's showing us the foolishness of allowing ourselves to walk in fearfulness. Instead, what's the solution? He's already given us the solution in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember that Exodus prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What's he doing there in this sermon? What's he doing with all this stuff? He's drawing our minds back to when, to Israel's history, when they're wandering through the wilderness that we just read in Numbers. And and how were they eating? Two million people. How were they eating every single day? God, their Father, is giving them manna from heaven every single day. They're not allowed to store it up. They're not allowed to bottle it up and put it in stuff. Otherwise, it'll spoil and go bad, unless it's, of course, the day before the Sabbath day. Then they get enough for the following few days, right? But that's what he's doing. He's calling us back. What's the solution to our fearful living, our fretting, our toil? Ooh, I got to work. I got to hustle. I got to do this. I got to do, ooh, and I, I lost my job, or, or this other person's coming up, and they didn't hear my concern, and now this is happening. What does Jesus say? No. Remember, the God who provided manna for two million people for 40 years in the wilderness, that's your father today. Your father in heaven, and you are infinitely more valuable than birds. And now he turns our attention to lilies. In verse 28 to 29, He talks about clothing. 
And why are you anxious about your clothes or what are you going to wear, your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Anybody in here anxious about what they would wear today? Anybody in here anxious about whether your fashion choice would be up to par so you wouldn't look silly? We have an entire industry in the fashion industry that's designed to make us anxious about our clothing. Actually, in Disney's most recent movie, uh, Cruella, this is one of the driving plot points, a major fashion designer who is anxious, who's worried, who's concerned about her next piece, and it drives the plot. Where is this next outfit going to come from? We can most certainly be anxious about our clothing, and yet Jesus directs our eyes. They probably were in bloom at this time as he's preaching the sermon. They're all gathered around. They're in a field, and he probably, these flowers are in bloom, and he's pointing, consider the lilies of the field. Look at how beautiful they are. They didn't give any thought to their beauty. They didn't spring up and wonder what kind of petal color am I going to choose today. They just did it because God is clothing them. And he says, even Solomon, not even rich, wealthy, well-clothed Solomon was decked out like one of those flowers. And if God can do that, will he not clothe you? Will he not clothe you, his child? And then verse 33, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He knows what you need. He knows, remember the, our section on prayer, the beginning of this chapter? When you pray, please understand, God knows every one of your needs before you even ask him. He knows exactly what you have need of. Well, in light of that, what do we do? What's my fear? Okay, so you're like, Pastor Randy, I know that. Okay, so I, I've read Matthew 6. I've been a believer a long time. What do we do with these truths? Because I still struggle with fear. Stop it. Stop it. Don't be afraid. Does that work? Don't be afraid. Okay, I'm not afraid. I'm kind of afraid, right? No, it doesn't work. We can't just say, stop it. We can't just say, don't be afraid. So what do we do? What do we do? Number three. Here's point number three. So we have a fearful people, number one, a faithful father, number two, and number three. Here it is, a focused mission. So what do we do with that fear? We redirect it. We redirect it. We drive it out. Verse 34, what does Jesus tell us to do? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beloved, oftentimes, this is how the scriptures operate. Here's what they're doing. It says, do not be anxious. Don't be fearful. And it doesn't just tell you stop it. It actually tells you to do something. Instead of sitting there, because 
please understand, when you're fearful, when you're worried, you are doing something, aren't you? You are meditating on all these other things. It says, instead, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Do this first and foremost. The solution then to our fear is to direct my heart, to direct my mind, to direct my energy to seek God's purposes, to seek God's kingdom with my whole heart. Uh, Scholar Jonathan Pennington, he noted, he asked the question, why does Jesus give so much attention to this in his sermon? And it's right smack dab near the middle of the sermon. Why does Jesus give so much attention to fearfulness in his sermon? The answer is it goes exactly to what Jesus has been dealing with throughout this whole thing. An anxious, fearful heart is a sign of double-mindedness. It's a sign that I am not wholly devoted to the things of God, and therefore it is an obstruction to our flourishing. And so Jesus concludes, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I had friends in college, and and their parents, they said, hey, you just go to school, You just worry about your grades. Just do good in your classes. I'm going to take care of everything. You don't have to worry about nothing. You don't have to work. I just want you to. And and what they were saying is seek first your education, and I'll take care of everything else. This is what God's saying. Hey, I've got all the resources. I I know what you need. Seek my kingdom, and as you do, I'm going to take care of you. I'll give you what you need when you need it. Can I have it before I need it? No, you get it when you need it. It'll be there. Trust me. And so what I want to do now with the remainder of our time in our application, we just walk through the text, uh, and, and this is a text many of us are familiar with, so I wanted to take a little bit of time here to just flush out how we can practically apply this, because all of us have heard this text, but, but we still struggle with fear, we still struggle with worry, we still struggle with anxiety, so I really just want to wrap up our time together and give a few practical ways first uh, of two things. First, how do we drive out fear? Just really practically, how can we drive out fear in our lives? Second, how can we seek God's kingdom? Just these things very practically. There's a lot more that that could be said on each of these, but I wanted to give you a few ways to drive out fear, biblical ways. Number one, how do you drive out fear in your heart? Here's number one a greater fear, a greater fear. That's how you drive out fear, a greater fear. Let me give you an example. Nobody is worried about their cell phone bill in the doctor's office when you get a cancer diagnosis, right? So maybe before that, you're worried, oh man, my cell phone bill, what am I gonna do? I I gotta pay this. And then you get a call from that doctor, you go in, and you get a diagnosis, nobody's thinking about their cell phone bill anymore. There is a greater fear that drove out that initial fear of what am I going to do about my money? You see? Let me give you a different example. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. Jesus is sleeping in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. He's sound asleep. Suddenly, 
a storm arises. You remember this story? The, wa- the boat starts taking on water. The, the disciples come to Jesus. They, they jilt him awake and they say, do you not even care that we're perishing? They are gripped by fear of the sheer power of the ocean and the waves and the wind. And then Jesus gets up. You remember what he does? He rebukes the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And then it says the disciples are filled with a great fear, a different kind of fear. They're not afraid of the wind and sea anymore. They're afraid of that dude. Who who is this that even the wind and sea obeys him? Their fear was driven out by a greater fear. So how do you conquer fear? Learn this. Go home and pray this today. Learn what the Proverbs say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God, help me to fear you more than I fear anything else. Help me to have that holy, awesome, reverential fear of God in my life. Learn what that means. Do a a Bible study on what it means to fear the Lord. And then you'll find you can begin to be wise. So one way to drive out fear is through a greater expulsive fear. Number two, how can you conquer fear in your life? Here's number two, a great promise. A great promise with the assurance of provision. Much of our fears are driven by our felt needs of some sort. So a great promise with the assurance of provision is a great way to drive out fear. For example, we mentioned manna. We get grace for the moment. Every day we have new mercies every morning. And why would God do this for you? It goes back to his role. He is your father. He is your Father, and he has given you precious promises to fight fear with. And he has promised if you seek his kingdom, he is going to provide exactly what you need. His precious promises. Number three, a great presence will drive out fear. So a great fear, a greater fear, a greater promise, and a great presence will drive out fear. Isn't it interesting how being in the dark is more fearful when you are alone? Anybody ever go walking through the forest in the dark alone? Suddenly, everything creaks and cracks, and you, you know there's no predators on Maui, and yet you're terrified that a bear's going to come out of something. The only bear on Maui has found you in the middle of the dark. When you're alone, the dark is very fearful. But when you have a companion, a friend, others who are present with you in a dark place, suddenly it's a, it's a little less fearful, isn't it? A great presence can drive out fear. I used a funny one in the dark, but, but what about when you're, when you're in a hospital? What about when you're going through a hard time? What about in a, in a car accident? This was a joy of mine sometimes as, as an officer. I would get to come up and roll up on really uh, difficult seasons of some church members' lives that I knew and loved. And, and, and instantly, for some of them, it was, a, it was a comfort. Oh, Randy, I know you. 
this, this hard situation was made a little bit more bearable with the presence of a friend. A great presence can drive out fear. Beloved, what is one of the most repeated promises in the scripture? I am with you always. I, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go. You remember Moses on his way out of Egypt? The people are acting all kind of crazy. They're rebelling, the golden calf. Moses says, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. And God says, I'm going to send my angel. My presence is in him to go with you. Think about Psalm 23. What is one of the most powerful, comforting points of that psalm that we all know and love? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's what, what is the most powerful theme throughout that whole thing? He's with us everywhere. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. How does it end with that glorious promise? Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me, will be with me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am, that's God saying, I'm with you. I'm with you today. I'm with you beside still waters. And when you go through that scary place, the valley of death, I'm there too even in the darkness. And when you emerge, I'll be with you then. And then for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages, he's still there. A great presence can drive out fear. Great, the great commission, Jesus, his, his final words ringing in their ears. We already said it. And I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. If you want to fight fear in your life, you want to fight anxiety in your life, remember that most repeated promise, I am with you. Number four. Fourth way to have victory over your fear is the guarantee of victory. Guaranteed victory. See, when you seek the kingdom of God, his purposes won't fail. That's God's kingdom you're seeking, and it comes with God's power, and his power and purposes can't be thwarted. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's gonna happen. So much of our fear and anxiety comes whenever I seek my will. My will be done. My kingdom come on this earth as it is in my head. And when it doesn't happen, I feel anxiety, stress, fear welling up inside of me. Ooh, I had this plan this week. I was supposed to do it. It didn't work out. <sighs> what am I going to do now? Guaranteed victory can drive out fear. It can help you fight valiantly, boldly, with full focus and energy and effort because you're not worrying about these side things. I can seek his kingdom with all my heart and find joy in it. Guaranteed victory will drive out fear. Number five, great love 
will drive out fear. Think about it. Great love in your, your heart will drive out fear. 1 John 4.18, perfect love drives out fear or casts out fear. A little picture here. If my children were in danger, surrounded by a swarm of murder hornets, there's no amount of murder hornets that could stop me from getting to them. Suddenly, I would become sting-proof, bulletproof. I'd go for my children. Perfect love drives out fear, you see? Beloved, God loves you infinitely. He loves you so much that he gave his son to die for your sins. Will he not also give you all that you need? That's how Paul reasons in Romans 8. You want to drive out fear? Perfect love, great love drives out fear. I just want to take a little aside, and we're talking about fear of things we have, but, but I do want to talk about just a little, just very briefly, our love during COVID. Our love for one another is being tested during this pandemic. Do you realize that? Our love for one another is, being, is, is getting a stress test through all this. What do I mean? What am I getting at? Beloved, this is true of everybody in here. This is true of everybody online who's watching this or will watch this later. Beloved, you are being asked at each point, am I concerned more for my personal welfare than the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters? That's what you're being asked. Am I concerned more for my personal well-being than I am for the spiritual health and well-being of my brothers and sisters? Now, I can drive that home really powerfully and pointedly. I'm debating right now, should I do that? Should I not? Holy Spirit, he says green light. Okay, here's, here's what it means. Some of us, are not here present physically. Some of us are not here. You're watching online or maybe you'll listen. I want you to know we love you. I say this again with all the gentleness and love of a shepherd that I can who also has to get his staff and nudge you along. Now there are vaccines. There's mask wearing. You have to ask yourself if you don't have, I'm assuming you don't have any uh, really high-risk stuff in your family. There are some people who aren't gathering still, and we have to ask, what would it take to get you here? And at some point, we have to say, or you have to ask yourself, am I living in fear, sinful fear of my own health? Am I disregarding the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters by not being here? Am I disregarding my soul's spiritual well-being over the temporal risks of possible exposure to COVID or any number of other things? This is very ap applicable to you, and your love is being tested, and I pray that it will come out stronger in the end. Now, hear me. I know there are some of our kupuna who still aren't back. You've got health issues that are, are really actually always up there. We miss you, we love you, but there are others, hear me, that have none of these things. I want to call you back and say, we love you, we're ready to come. What else has to happen? And is that reasonable and is it biblical? 
The Lord wants you to gather. Come. End of aside. Holy Spirit, blame him. Of course, you can blame me too. All right, number six. How else can you drive out fear or have victory over your fear? Number six, greater righteousness. A greater righteousness. This one's really important. At the end of our day, remember all those things I said I'm afraid of? I don't want to do this. What are the things that you're afraid of, right, that, that come up in your brain? At the end of our day and throughout, part of your anxiety, is it not that I want to be right? Is it not that I want my choices to be the right choices? That's what I mean. I don't mean a negative sense. I, I want to give good counsel. I want to, Lord willing, preach biblical sermons. I, I, I want to be a good dad. I want to know that the choices I made that day we're good choices, you see. At the end of my day and yours, part of our anxiety flows from, from wanting to be right and that God would be pleased. One writer said it like this, our anxiety is a result of our inability to affirm our own righteousness. Our I'm going to say it again. Our anxiety is the result of our inability to affirm our own righteousness. It plays out like this. Oh no, if I made a wrong choice, God may not be happy with me. He must not be happy with me. If God's not happy with me, then, then what's going to happen? God may judge me. Evil may befall me. If God's not happy with me, what, what else could go wrong in my life? That's how it plays out. For some, of, some people who have messed up and we've all sinned, and you may wonder if, if you'll bear the consequences of your sin. Oh no, I, I messed up. What, what are the consequences? What is that going to look like? How is that going to play out? And you're fearful that God's going to say, you made this bed and I'll lay in it. Beloved, that's what the cross is all about. The cross is all about the reality that God will never leave you to bear the consequences of your sin alone. Christ died in your place. He bore the wrath of God and suffered the results of our wrong choices. He bore our consequences. And he will not leave you alone until you are clean. And better than that, he says you don't have to affirm your righteousness day in and day out. He gives you something better. Ooh, we love the Reformation. You are justified, declared righteous by faith in Christ alone. He gives you a, a righteousness that's better than any righteousness you could ever speak over yourself. He declares the very righteousness of Christ over you and says, righteous by faith. This is what Paul refers to in Romans 8. Who can lay any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Not even yourself. If God declares you righteous, nobody 
can lay any charge against you. He gives you something better, and therefore you can actually seek his kingdom and get it, his righteousness. And it's freely yours in Christ. And even the consequences for your sin, think about the consequences. You're like, yes, but I still have these consequences. Even the consequences for your sin in Christ and his righteousness, even those will work out for your good. Even those will be turned to train you in righteousness so that you get more righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Glory be to God. So I hope you will come today. I hope you will experience his righteousness in your life today. If you have never given your life to Jesus, if you have been trying to affirm your own righteousness each day and you've been gripped by fear, I pray that these things will help expel and expel that fear from your life forever. So what's the answer then? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, for time's sake, we'll pick up how to seek God's righteousness and his kingdom. We have more chances to do that throughout Matthew, so we'll cover that as we get into the rest of the sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you offer us a greater righteousness. Thank you that you speak a better word over us than fear ever could. I pray that all of us, would be comforted, that our souls would be nourished, that we would have victory over fear, stress, worry, panic. I pray that we would have victory as we store up treasures in heaven. Help us, Father. Free us to seek your glory, your righteousness, and walk in true flourishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.